What does it mean to submit to God and resist the devil? Let's talk about that today on the Midweek League. to the Midweek Move, podcast extension of The Healing Place. It's the podcast where we examine the scriptures line by line, verse by verse, and ask ourselves, what is happening? And ladies and gentlemen, we are coming to the end of a series of conversations on First Peter. And wow, there's been a lot of conversation <laughs> that we've had here. Yeah, we did, uh, you know, four chapters, and then we had the revival series there, just kind of a, hey, here's what the Lord is saying right now. And then, you know, last week, four verses and we <laughs> we went deep <laughs> yeah it was awesome man so good oh yeah so before we continue i want to let you guys know hey next couple of weeks we're we're taking a quick little detour talking about kind of leading up to easter or resurrection sunday and uh it's gonna be a really great series of conversations i want to encourage you guys to to lock into leading into the season that we have ahead of us and then when we come back from that we're actually starting a conversation on second peter yep continuing our conversations with him so that being said, um, like Pastor said last week, we it was four verses. That's all we had, <laughs> and uh, it was a great forty-minute conversation about <laughs> leadership and yeah. leaders. And this one uh, kind of takes a shift. Peter uh, begins to shift his attention towards young people or people young in the faith. And um, and again, this is in the same context of everything else we're talking about about talking about submitting to leadership, uh, but walking humbly and talking about leaders walking humbly. Yep. And so this isn't a, a detachment. So often we and we've talked about this before. So often people detach things because we have constructed titles in scripture uh, numbers. This was one logical flow of conversation that Peter mm-hmm. was having with a group of individuals. So that being said, let's jump into it, Pastor. Verse 5, likewise, again, hearkening back to what he's already said to the elders, Mm -hmm. likewise, you younger people, he's already told the elders that they needed to be humble, Mm -hmm. and in leading people, they needed to be humble. They need to humble themselves before the Lord. Right. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. And be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. All right. So this God res, uh, resists the proud, gives grace to the humble. This goes back to an Old Testament uh, reference here. So we're, obviously we have a Jewish conversation that would not, a Jewish uh, reader who would understand what's happening here. What does this mean to though to be clothed in humility, Pastor? Well, again, the the Old Testament reference, you know, out of uh, uh, I believe it's Proverbs chapter three. Mm-hmm. Um, where it's talking about, you know, God resisting the proud but gives grace to the humble, that even that word grace is like a covering, mm. a covering over you. And so when it talks about being clothed with humility, again, even in New Testament language, being clothed with righteousness, like we put aside our filthy rags and we take on robes of righteousness in Christ, we're mm. given that. And so when it talks about being clothed in humility, that is literally being covered in humility, mm-hmm. which again goes all the way back to the Old Testament, when that covering would come, there would be a bending of yourself. Mm-hmm. There would be a prostrate to yourself that you would bow yourself before the Lord, that you would lay before the Lord, mm. even in the mindset of your face being down. Thereby, you can't even be identified just by body type. Your mm-hmm. face ceases, right. and the only face that matters is the face of the Lord. Right. So, when it begins to talk about 
And I love the fact that it says, submit yourself to the to your elders, but it mm-hmm. doesn't stop there. It says all of you be submissive to one another, mm. meaning elders and younger people and everyone. If you're a believer, mm-hmm. you need to be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. It's not just about you. Right. Why? God resists the proud, the selfish. He's already dealt with it with the elders. Don't lead by compulsion. Don't lord over people. Mm-hmm. Why? Because God resists that. Mm-hmm. But he gives grace a covering mm-hmm. to the humble. Exactly. And the whole aspect of submissive to one another, Peter demonstrates that in the front end. The elders uh, among you, I exhort, who I am a fellow elder. He's going, I'm, I'm here with you guys. Yep. We're on the same page here. And it, it's interesting because so many people, they there are people who have made the claims that the scriptures are all about dominating people, controlling people. That is a complete twisting of what's happening here. Mm-hmm. Time and time and time, we're, we're told, submit to each other, love each other, look at each other and ask ourselves, what can I do to help them be better? And so he's looking at you, he's like, examine yourself, humble yourself, whoever you are, whatever you're going through, submit to each other in the situation. And again, in Peter's writings, it's not a forewarning of what's to come. It's things that have already been activated. So right. this lends itself, verse 5, towards... There's already been an issue with younger people mm-hmm. being prideful, arrogant toward their elders. Mm-hmm. Now, again, being humble doesn't make you a doormat mm-hmm. for abuse, but it does mean that you bring yourself low and it becomes less about you and more about the Lord. It almost lends itself to the conversation of, of uh, zeal and wisdom. And mm-hmm. the young people, they're very zealous and they're after yep. it, but there's not, sometimes there's just not wisdom how to do this. I saw this a lot when I was in college, um, and there was a... A buddy of mine, we used to help out with some with an organization. There was a group of individuals who were very intelligent, but in their intelligence, they put their pride, and they kind of lorded that over people. And there was a lot of zeal for the Lord. There was a lot of passion, but in that passion, there was not wisdom yep. on how to walk with people, on how to do life with people, and help them to really be who God created them to be. And so, zealous zeal without wisdom. Creates ashes. Oh, yeah. You'll burn up. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) But zeal with wisdom is that you will burn, almost like the bush Mm. was burned, but it didn't turn to ash. It was just consumed. Yeah. And there's a difference between consuming and ashes and and being zealous. I was kind of that way. I didn't have a lot of wisdom when when I gave my life to the Lord, but I was zealous about all of it (laughs) and very literal with all of it. And... And uh, in reference to the scriptures, in my own interpretation, there's two in the field and nobody's going. It's like, I'm not even sure I'm going. It's like, just this. But then that becomes a distortion of the, of the gospel. Right. To where now you, you have a fatalistic mindset of even yourself. Right. Then you get into the depravity right. mindset. Mm-hmm. Yes, at the core of humanity is depravity and sinfulness, but in Christ, again, those rags are gone, and we take on a robe of righteousness. Absolutely. All right, verse 6. Therefore, and man, this word comes up a lot, <laughs> humble yourselves. Mm. Now, this isn't a reference to God humbling you. Mm. This is you doing it beforehand. Right. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Good deal. So here, Peter's kind of acknowledging that leaders and humans may at times operate in the flesh. Mm-hmm. 
And, uh, but when we are humbled under the almighty power of God, he'll take care of us. He, uh, he's the one who, uh, that we should put our, our cares, our worries in, but what does that mean to humble yourself? Like, how do we do that? How do we humble ourselves? Uh, we've talked about God humbling us mm-hmm. using such situations, which by the time you get there, that's not right. That's not a good thing. Right. That's, that's almost the, the being crushed by the rock aspect of it. That how is, do we humble that, ourselves before that? Yeah. That's almost like a garden of Gethsemane where you, where you, you're in the olive press mm-hmm. and you're just being crushed and every bit of your humanity is coming out of yourself. Mm-hmm. You don't want to get to that point. Right. Now God will do that if we won't do it ourselves, but in order to humble ourselves, again, I think it goes back to something we talked about last week is that being rooted in Christ, the disciplines of the faith, mm-hmm. consistency and faithfulness to the Lord, keeping the Lord ever before you in everything that you do, doing everything as unto the Lord, all of those things, they're not just sayings. Right. They're disciplines. Mm. They're 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 to be activated in your life, right? For good purpose, mm-hmm. so that you will remain humble, right? You know, Paul saying, you know, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, mm. despising the shame. The cross. How can that be joy? Well, Jesus knew the outcome of the cross. It would be for our redemption. Mm-hmm. He was fulfilling the will of the Father. He humbled himself before the Father to do the will of the Father so that we could be redeemed. And, and Paul is saying, looking unto Jesus, mm. keeping him as the focus, right. making sure that he is building the temple of the Holy Ghost, making right. sure he is building the church, mm. making sure that he is the focus. Right. And when that happens, then you will humble yourself mm-hmm. by your disciplines right. because disciplines humble you. Mm-hmm. It's no different than going to work out. You don't want to do it, but when you do it and you get done, you're like, this helped me. Right. You had to humble yourself to do that which you did not want to do mm-hmm. to get a desired result. Right. And it that that is the good news. Mm-hmm. It is we humble ourselves by keeping Jesus as the focus and our and 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 the focus of our life and doing it as unto the Lord. We in doing those things, it humbles us. Right. If you read the word of God and you activate the word of God in your life, it will humble you. Yeah. So because you realize you're not the one. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Um, Cause again, the context is you have people who um, they're serving, but perhaps their leadership has been overbearing and they've stepped out of bounds as someone who, who leads and has led before uh, or has served before rather. How do you, handle these situations? How have you handled situations where perhaps you had a leadership that was not doing things quite right? They were lording over you. They were overbearing. How did you live out the whole casting your cares upon him because he cares for you? Not well sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate the honesty there. Yeah. Like legitimately. I, um, you know, we all have old ways and, um, Sometimes those things manifest themselves in places of weakness. Mm. They very rarely manifest themselves when we are doing the disciplines every day. Right. They try, mm-hmm. but they don't get through because of the disciplines. Right. Because Jesus is the focus, because we're doing everything as unto the Lord, because we're in the Word, because we're praying, because we're faithful, because we're giving of our time and our talent and our try, all those things. Mm-hmm. But in those moments where we're not, then 
we begin to think of ourselves more than everyone else, mm. and even the Lord himself. And we could begin to look at what's being done to us mm. rather than what the Lord wants to do in us. Mm-hmm. And for me, um, I think you're referencing one specific season of my life. Um, I, I didn't handle it well on the front end. Mm-hmm. Um, to be honest, I was a bit, maybe not full of myself, but I had begun to believe that I had something to do with what was going on. Mm. It doesn't mean that God doesn't use us, right? but when you begin to believe that maybe you're not the reason that it's happening, but without you, it wouldn't, mm-hmm. and we begin to see God do amazing things in the middle of a, a place where, where amazing things didn't normally happen, mm-hmm. um, where the miraculous didn't normally happen, where healings didn't normally happen, and in a, in a, uh, a region of the country that was known for almost being kind of a wasteland. Mm -hmm. So even the geography itself spoke to that. Mm -hmm. You know, when it talks about Jesus being born as a tender plant and and a root out of spiritually dry ground, I think about this place. Mm -hmm. Uh, Spiritual dry ground and natural dry ground. Like, Mm -hmm. maybe not barren wasteland, but definitely leaning toward wasteland. Right. And it was a very different, even geographical place than we had ever been before. Mm. And that makes a difference, Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, when the landscape um, is fruit of the spiritual landscape <laughs> and you can't get away from it. So you're in spiritually dry ground and you're in dry ground. You right. can't, you, everywhere you look, it's, <laughs> it's, it's what ground. it is. Yeah. And so I, I think coming to the place where I began to see what God was doing in, and Peter talked about younger people, I began to see what God was doing in younger people and just the purity and the humility and the brokenness that was happening to where even even unbelievers, um, teenagers that were unbelievers, even before they were coming to the Lord, they began to to give to the Lord. Mm. I can remember a kid handing me money in Chuck E. Cheese. I think it was Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> Playing pool at Chuck E. Cheese. And this kid, he, he's a self-professed atheist, and he's handing me, and he's like, here's my tithe. And I'm like, how do you know about <laughs> what? What are you talking about? It's like, but then watching this the journey of this kid and then and seeing him give his life to the Lord and then seeing all these and you know several of those young people that were involved in that. and Strangely. Um, yeah, strangely <laughs> and oddly. But I, I think that there were breaking points mm-hmm. where I wanted to quit. Mm. Um, sometimes in the middle of church. Mm. <laughs> um, but then God would do something that I couldn't explain. Yeah. And... As God would do that, it solidified even more and more that I was supposed to be a part of this. Right. Not to lead it, but just to be a part of it. Yeah. To witness it, to to help people through it. Um, and what would look like a terrible scenario, all of a sudden God would do something miraculous. Mm. All of a sudden I would find myself doing something in the community that nobody else from a faith community was able to do in the community and just going, how is this even happening? Right. You know, and you know all those things that were going on and and things that were happening in schools and things that were happening on the radio, even on the radio at that right. time. I mean, just crazy stuff, man, that God was doing. It was just mind-boggling. Right. And it seemed like the the worse that things got as far as serving under leadership, the more God was doing. Yeah. And 
it literally felt like the Lord was crushing me to a place of going, what are you willing to truly sacrifice in the natural Mm. to see me do in the supernatural? How much pain are you willing to absorb to see me get the glory that I deserve? Right. And I'm not going to say that it was a Job scenario, but at times it felt like that. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife was going through a really rough time, and leadership was not helping with that. They were making it worse. Mm. I can remember Tanya being told, no, you can't go this weekend to go see your family who you haven't seen in a year by a leader. And I can remember telling that leader, you'll never talk to her like that again. I'm putting her on a plane, and she's going to see her folks, and you do what you want. Now that wasn't out of arrogance. It really, it sounds arrogant, but it wasn't at the time. It was out of humility. It was my first ministry is my wife word. And she was going through a, a a really hard time Mm -hmm. and we've got two young kids and, and we're not, you know, we're getting a few hundred bucks a week, maybe couple hundred bucks a week, maybe, uh, no real insurance to speak of, man. We're just living by faith, man. We're just doing it. Right. And not saying that as nobody else has ever done that, but that was just our journey. Yeah. And coming to a crossroads in that time, and the way I humbled myself to answer your question was worship, was being on my face a lot. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of tears in the carpet of the office I had at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you could literally see on the carpet. Um, continuing to to understand that that God was just using me as a piece and that I, if I wasn't there, God was going to do it. Mm-hmm. Seeing miraculous things, th- seeing a missionary raised from the dead in an ambulance in the parking lot at the church when he had a heart attack in the pew in our church and died. Mm-hmm. 21 minutes. And then seeing people gather around an ambulance and lay their hands on it to the point where they were almost moving the ambulance (laughs) and they're not even doing compressions on him anymore. And he comes back to life. Right. (laughs) Like, what are you going to say to the Lord? No, I'm done. I I need to leave. Right. Like, this is terrible. It's like, and, and to be honest, Dallas, it it probably was uh, the greatest lesson of humility that I've ever learned in my life that season. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, If I had not had that season, then one specific instance after that would have turned out very different. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't be here. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be in Shreveport. Right. I would have never made it here. Mm -hmm. Without that season of humility, Mm -hmm. almost nine, ten years later, I would have made a very different decision. Mm -hmm. And if I would have made that decision, it would have cut off the bridge to here. Yeah. And so it was a... um, and when we came to the crossroads moment where I knew it was time for us to go, mm-hmm. it was it was nasty. Mm-hmm. Nothing that I did. Right. It really wasn't. Um, and I can remember sitting in an office across the desk from a person, and I just remember just all this vitriol and this stuff coming towards me. And it was out of a place of insecurity, and it was out of a place of the way that they were raised and Mm -hmm. maybe some things that were going on in their life at the time. And it was just basically being all put on me. 
And I can remember the Holy Spirit saying, well done, you can leave. Like in my heart, I heard that. Yeah. Well done, you can leave. And you can know it's me. It's not you. If there was ever a great time to hear <laughs> it's me and not you, maybe not in a dating scenario, <laughs> right? but in that scenario, that was one of the greatest words from the Lord that I ever forgotten. Yeah. It's not you, it's me. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, great, awesome. And I was able to look at this leader just with all sincerity and compassion and love and tears. Um, it's time for us to go. Yeah. The Holy Spirit is, has released me. It's, it's not you, it's me. <laughs> and I can remember coming to church the next morning and knowing all that right. and not being able to say anything. <laughs> and I can remember that Sunday night actually having to preach and then actually having to say at the end of that message that we were leaving. I can remember what it was like being surrounded by board members who felt like I was being pressured and I was being kicked out. And basically, I can remember the board members. I was seated in the middle, and this may be longer than you wanted, but (laughs) I can remember there was a seat in the middle of the room, and it was surrounded by seats, and then there was a desk, and a leader was on the other side of the desk. And I can remember one by one the, the, the board looking at me and going, tell us right now that you're being forced out and we will make the decision to get this person out. Wow. (laughs) Now, if there was ever a moment to go, yeah, that was the moment. But I said, no, guys, you all know me. You know that I wouldn't do anything unless I really felt like the Lord had released me. And I remember one of the board members, I loved, loved them, loved them, looked at me and said, we know you're lying. Because we know what's happened to you right. these last couple of years. We know. We now know what's happened to you. Mm-hmm. And I said, no, this it's the Holy Spirit. Okay. And I can remember leaving that room. And even before I get to the door, I can remember just hearing screaming. And I was just like, man, God, why is this happening like this? I'm doing what I feel like you. And I went home and um, Tanya said, hey, I didn't want to tell you this, but I had a dream a month ago that all this would happen the way that it's happening right now. And I was like, wow, you could have given me a heads up. <laughs> but guess what? If she'd have given me a heads up, I, pro- I may have made some different decisions. Mm-hmm. And it was just confirmation to us. And that Tuesday night, we had a uh, community service at our church right? <laughs> as all this is going on. And I'm speaking. And God moved. And we packed up everything on a Wednesday. Um, everything we had into a U-Haul trailer. My mom and my brother came. And um, we packed up everything. And on Thanksgiving morning, we were waking up in Paris, Texas, in a, um, wasn't on the Connell Lodge, but one of the Red Roof places. Wasn't a Red Roof Inn. Mm-hmm. And my whole family, uh, the Goldfish Bowl, I slept next to the Goldfish Bowl <laughs> on the floor. And we were all there um, in that hotel room on, on a Thursday morning on Thanksgiving. And I can remember jumping in that U-Haul and and making the trek to where we were going and thinking, man, Lord, like this is Thanksgiving. Like we're supposed to be around a table and we're supposed to be like talking about what we're thankful for and all those things. And I just remember the overwhelming presence of God coming upon me. And and I can remember it was, I was in the U-Haul driving, they were in the other vehicles and the goldfish was in the passenger seat of the Mm U-Haul and uh, Mr. Fish. Biggest goldfish I've ever seen. He lived so long that he became transparent. You could see all the way through him. He wasn't mm-hmm. gold anymore. 
Anyway, I digress. <laughs> but, you know, when God speaks to you in moments, you remember everything about that. Right. And I can just remember being overwhelmed by the presence of God and just weeping, man, just weeping. And just all I could say was, thank you, Lord. So I was having Thanksgiving mm. without even realizing. And even when we got to where we were going, there was one more shot that was taken at me by that leader mm -hmm. um, where I actually had to call back and go, hey, this hadn't happened. And the board just going, we didn't even know any of that. Mm -hmm. And I can remember being called back to that specific state because this this person just couldn't let things let anything go. Mm -hmm. And I can remember sitting in a room with a bunch of executives and I can remember hearing the things that were being said about me. And I can remember one of the executives going, Nope, none of that is true. We know it's not true. We know him. You need to get over yourself. The two of you need to make it right. And you need to go back to wherever you're, we're sorry. We wasted your time. Yeah. And, um, I can just remember, um, I can just remember being broken in a good way. Mm -hmm. And I can remember that the way that we handled that only through the, through the Holy Spirit, the way that we handled that allowed us to be launched into, we had already gotten to the place we, we weren't going to be in ministry, but the Lord had a different plan within a month. We were already at another place and then got called back to this place. But the place that he had called us to, I can remember the way that we finished launched us into probably maybe the greatest harvest season we've ever had in ministry, mm -hmm. ever. And, and put me with a leader who was just a good old boy, but humble, mm -hmm. not arrogant, not insecure. Um, humble. Um, maybe people wouldn't put him in the top 10 of their charismatic preachers and maybe not in the top 10 of the leader of leaders and all that, but one of the most compassionate men, one of the most, um, one of the most beautiful men in the midst of disaster that I've ever been around in my life. Mm -hmm. A man who could walk into a room where someone was dying and not even know them and make everybody in the room feel like they had known him their whole lives. Yeah and bring peace to just the most. And that's how I learned about the importance of hospitals, funerals, death, and disaster. I learned it from that man. Yeah. I avoided all that before that. Mm -hmm. But humbling myself in a scenario where I didn't want to humble myself mm -hmm. and finishing that way, God put me with a man that would show me, not tell me, would show me mm one of the greatest gifts that I feel like the Lord had ever revealed to me. Yeah. And that is the importance of running to destruction and disaster and being humble and walking in the authority Jesus has given you to be able to bring peace instead of running away from a 911 scenario. Yeah. And so that is the fruit of, of that. Mm. Sorry if that was long. No, it's good. And, and this thing is, like, you know, it's a very, there's, there's not a lot of ministers that were willing to share that kind of story, but it's so key for us to walk in that. You walked in humility, and you literally lived this out. You humbled yourself, and um, that he may exalt you in due time. 
And I and I don't say that to to cast aspersions no. upon that leader. Um, we were able to have a conversation years later, um, and that conversation was very different mm-hmm. than the way that things were left. And um, I, I had a lot of respect. He's he's no longer uh, living, uh, which saddened me, mm-hmm. um, and and hit a place inside of me that that um, I knew was there. And feelings that I had, not bad, but good. Mm-hmm. And there was a genuine uh, mourning and grief yeah. when I got that news. It wasn't, um, it wasn't good news, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, I think that even that was just a, an example to me of just the, just the goodness of God and the mm-hmm. goodness of the Lord. And those words... Ten years later that you just read, yeah. I will exalt you in due time, were the exact words that the Holy Spirit spoke to me before I walked into a room and my life changed forever. Mm. Humble yourself before men and I'll exalt you in due time. Yeah. And I remained silent in a room that I wanted to say a lot, and I should have said a lot and probably could have said a lot, <laughs> and by all legal means had the right to. Right. But I didn't say anything. Right. And because of that, God created a bridge to Shreveport, Louisiana. Yeah. My home. Mm-hmm. So good. Well, uh, let's keep let's keep rolling with this conversation. <laughs> Where do you go from there? Uh, next week on the midweek move, uh, <laughs> no doubt. All right, can I go ahead and just read eight, nine, ten? Yeah, go for yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. So be sober, be vigilant. Again, I think that goes back to what we've been talking about: your relationship with Jesus, keeping your mind right, keeping your heart right. Being sober is not just about not drinking alcohol or being drunk, but it's about being being aware and mm-hmm. alert. Right. When it uses that word sober, it also takes on the connotation of alert. You're mm-hmm. not numbed. You're not drunken. You're not in a stupor. You're awake. You're right. alert. And it even goes into it. Be sober, be vigilant, mm-hmm. consistent, faithful. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. That is a great word right there. Mm. Because what the enemy wants us to believe is that we're the only one that's gone through it. Listen, I have a story of being humbled and all that other stuff. So does everybody else. Right. You know, it's not mine alone. Yeah. I'm not the only one that's been in the cave wanting to die. Right. Elijah was there long before <laughs> I was. And he had a nature like mine. Mm-hmm. And, and so, but may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Cool. So a couple of terminology I want us to understand. What does it mean to resist him? What does it mean to resist the devil? If we're being sober-minded, we're doing these things, how does that help us to resist the devil? James gives us a great aspect of that. Draw near to God, mm. and he'll draw near to you. Mm-hmm. Resist the devil, mm-hmm. and he will flee. Right. Well, how do you resist the devil? Draw near to God. Right. When you draw near to God, you're resisting the devil because the devil is trying to get you to draw away from God. Right. So we think that resisting the devil is, I got to say no to all this stuff. No, you say yes to the Lord. Mm -hmm. And as you draw near to God, then you are resisting the devil. Mm -hmm. You are, he will flee from you. Why? Because you're leaning in. Right. Because you are drawing near to God, you are resisting the devil. Right. So good. So as we're doing this, there, there's some other terminology that's really interesting. He says here that um, uh, by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a little while, perfect, 
established, strengthen, and settle you. What does that mean? How does he mean to restore us and confirm and strengthen us and all those things? Well, he's already said later on that when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory. So not only is he talking about right now, but he's talking about future tense, Mm -hmm. the eternal glory. So in here, we know that he's talking about the Jews that have been dispersed. We know that he's talking to a group of people that um, are in different cultures. They've had to suffer. Mm -hmm. They've suffered persecution. Right. Not just from other cultures, but their own culture of being believers in Jesus. Mm Mm-hmm. And so when he says, after you've suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Those are counterintuitive to everything that's happened to these pilgrims that have been dispersed. Right. They've not been established. They've not been settled. Like, even when Paul's speaking to the church, I think it's at Ephesus where it talks about well, even when uh, they're talking in Hebrews about the feeble, mm-hmm. you know, your hands hanging down and, right. and all those different things, these believers have been dispersed, uprooted, thrown into all manner of cultures. Right. They've, they've not been able to establish a normal pattern of worship with other believers. Mm-hmm. They've not been able to settle wherever they are because there's been constant movement. And and even in that word strengthening. And so when he begins to talk about these things, it's the polar opposite of everything that they've experienced. Mm. We don't know for how long, but we do know that they've experienced the opposite of all of these things. And so he turns their attention back to in the Lord Jesus, not for your glory, for his glory. May the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory, now a future tense, the eternal by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. All the things that they have been lacking. Yeah. That God would do those things. So good. It's almost like when we're praying for something for so long and we don't feel it's happened, but when we look at our lives, we can see, I, I didn't feel like God had perfected me or, or I didn't feel strengthened mm-hmm. in that season. Mm-hmm. I felt weak. You know, I didn't feel it established like i i was looking to get out yeah <laughs> i wasn't settled mm-hmm. ever yeah in those years yeah but when i look back on it the lord was doing all four of those things oh, yeah he was perfecting my faith through the fire mm-hmm. through the trial he was establishing me in my relationship with him he was settling me that i'm going to serve him no matter what happens to me no matter what anybody does to me right and 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 in all of those things establishing strength and he's strengthened me. I'm stronger today because of what happened. Right. And so I could take those very words from the Lord and say that my life is a representation of that. Yeah. Because of the various trials that I had been through. Exactly. Years ago, I had a conversation with a friend of mine and we're just kind of reflecting on what God's done in our lives over the last uh, 20 some odd years. And I remember talking to him as like, you know, I reflect on my darkest time in my life. It was right. The, the worst portion of my life took place right after I got saved. <laughs> right after I got saved, <laughs> it was my wilderness time frame. Yeah. And um, I remember thinking about it. I was like, you know, I could have walked away from it all. Stuff that took place, being left homeless, you know, feeling abandoned. That's a great time for me to go, you know what? This Jesus thing doesn't work. I'm going to walk away. But instead, I stuck with it. I humbled myself. I got a community of individuals around me. And through that time frame was where I found the... 
He was, you know, he was perfecting me. He was establishing me. He was strengthening me, even though I felt like trash for like two or three years. Mm-hmm. And he settled me. And he, he helped me f- get my firm footing in my relationship with Christ during that dark time. And I think that's the thing that, you know, he's talking to people who are going through some terrible, terrible times. You know, these guys are just, we have a home. We have Shreveport. <laughs> you know, we're, we're not being dispersed across the nation and worried that somebody's going to get us. These guys were. But we were before Shreveport. Yeah. I mean, think about it. Mm-hmm. You were dispersed. Mm-hmm. Missouri, mm-hmm. out west, here, there. Mm-hmm. I mean, you were dispersed. Right. All over the place. Right. I was too. Mm-hmm. You know, even after being saved. Yeah. <laughs> you know, here to here to here to mm-hmm. here. And in that season that we've just discussed, I felt like I had been dispersed. Mm-hmm. Dispatched. Yeah. Discarded. Mm-hmm. And forgotten. Yeah. But one of the greatest um, aspects of the Holy Spirit is that He reminds us mm. of everything that Jesus taught. Right. And I think we forget that about the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. One of the greatest aspects is not Him teaching us something new, mm-hmm. but reminding us of something that Jesus has already said or done. Right. And when we get reminded of that, then we realize the smallness of what we've made so big. Mm-hmm. It really isn't big at all. Right. It's pretty small compared to what he had to suffer. Right. And what he went through. Yeah. You know, we just talked about that where Isaiah 53, where he was uh, not only rejected, but he was despised. Garbage. Mm. <laughs> Garbage. Right. I mean, I can say that I've been offended and and people have rejected me and all those things, but I don't think that I've ever felt like garbage discarded into a valley of dry bones right. and death. Yeah. But Jesus did, so I don't have to experience that. Mm-hmm. So good. <sighs> so there's a, this was a deep conversation today. <laughs> and uh, the last couple of verses. No, are you serious? That was light. That was oh, yeah. easy. No, I'm kidding. The last couple of com- verses of this whole passage, is, it's, a, it's a final goodbye. Uh, from Peter, talking about how Silvanus, his faithful brother, has been helping him with this writing. Uh, he says, you know, salutations from Mark uh, to she who is in Babylon. There's conversation. We talked about this earlier off script that where some people are like, oh, is, is, is he talking about his wife? No, he's probably talking about the church that's still in Rome that's dealing with some stuff. And um, it again, it's... But it, even in the salutations, it goes back to what he said. A fellow elder. Mm-hmm. I'm not in this alone. Mm-hmm. Silvanus, Mark. When you go to Paul's writings in um, um, in Romans, right? What's the big deal? The big deal is he finishes the entire book talking about all these people that he did life with mm-hmm. and he did ministry with, people that helped him, people that served the Lord, people who are humble. Basically, he was saying, "I'm not the one." Right. All these people. So even in the salutations and the greetings and all that, it's super important. Yeah. Because these guys are basically modeling what they're about to say or what they've already said. Right. Well, Pastor, do you have any final thoughts on? I really don't, man. I've yeah. I've I've been <laughs> broken and spilled out today. So, um, I just appreciate all of you that listen to this, that watch this, um, and I would encourage you that so many times when we're so focused on ourselves, we begin to make decisions mm. that impact the rest of our lives in a negative way. Yeah. Because we think it's the thing to do because we're either uncomfortable or we're hurt or we're offended 
or we feel we've been wronged, and we begin to make life decisions, jobs, um, decisions with our children, church decisions, who I do life with, who I do ministry with in a local body. And we react and we make those decisions and we make a move before the Lord. And then we find ourselves in a place that maybe encourages our flesh, but we realize that I don't sense his presence like I did. Yeah. And I said this to you earlier, Dallas. Promised land is great, but the promised land without his presence, I don't care anything about it. Yeah. If his presence is not there, I don't want to go. Mm-hmm. If his presence is in the wilderness, I want to be in the wilderness. Yeah. If I can cross the Jordan and be in the promised land, but he's not there, I'll stay in the wilderness. Because I may not be getting the stake of Egypt, but I'm getting quail. I'm getting manna. I'm getting water out of a rock. And I've got a cloud by day and I got a fire by night. So I know where I'm going. Yeah. And I know who's with me. Word. And so I would just encourage you not to be so reactive in pain or hurt or misunderstanding, but that you would really lean into the Lord and let him perfect you and establish you and strengthen you and settle you so that whatever decision you make, you know that the Lord will be with you. Yeah. Um, he does give us a provisional grace <laughs> for our decisions, almost the permissive will of God, but that doesn't, that, that doesn't feel great. Yeah. And there's a lot of bad fruit that comes from those moments. He'll permit us to do stuff. But the fruit of that on the backside is pretty nasty. Absolutely. Well, guys, we want to hear from you. How's this encouraged you? How's this challenged you? Let us know how we can pray with you. Uh, we don't do this just for the heck of it. This is to help you guys to, to grow in your relationship with the Lord and help you to understand the scriptures fully. And I hope that through this conversation, through Peter, that you've walked away with a lot of like very practical how to live life. The last two uh, episode specific, I feel like we're very practical, very much like this is how we lived it out. This is how we walk things out. So let us know how we can pray with you. How can we help you take your next step? Reach out to us, mediahub at tsvshooper.com, or you can reach us on our Facebook page, Mid. So next time. <laughs>